Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. We are a family. I don't know if you've ever heard of that terminology before when people talk about church, but you'll hear us use that term, the mosaic family. And what's really cool about families is like, we love our family, but we love other families too. So it's not us versus other churches. This is just our weird, dysfunctional, crazy, as you just saw in the video, goofy family. It's just who we are. And we celebrate all the other families. We celebrate the expressions of families all throughout Washington County and Wisconsin, throughout the world. There's so many beautiful ways that families celebrate. God just brought together a new family a year ago. And as today, as we uh, celebrate this family, one year of the most unprecedented church planting experiences ever. I mean, you think about just planting a church, just getting things started, starting the, with the basics of planting you have to find people who want to come. That's interesting enough because everyone's like, why would I leave if I go to a church, my beautiful, comfy church that has hot coffee and cushy chairs to go sit in a gym or a cafeteria? And why would I give that up? Or someone who isn't church, they're like, I don't even go to church, Jason. Why would I go to sit in uncomfortable plastic chairs, weird thing, where you guys stand up and sit? I don't even know what you guys are doing during your services. And so church planning is like this. Imagine absolute chaos one day just kind of starts to happen at one location. That's what church planting feels like. There were days I'm like, we're going to take over the world. And there's days where I'm on my knees weeping like a little baby. God, what are you doing? That's church planting. It is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But families are like that, right? Like if you think about your family experience, you have family experiences where you have highs and you have lows. All of your families are beautiful and dysfunctional at the same time. It's your family. When we talk about families, your Christmas is really weird to me. And let me explain that to you. Your traditions on Christmas Day, the way your family does things, all these things that you put together, how you decorate, what you eat, ham turkey, what time is it? Like, we just have, like, a chips and dip display, and I'm like, I'm happy, right? Like, what do you guys do on your Christmas, your traditions, your times? My family, it feels weird to your family. It feels different, but at the same time, we're celebrating the same thing. We're celebrating Christmas. And so families, even though we have differences, can still be united around one thing. And our family is united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the one thing in our family I'm going to say over and over and over, all that matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I believe the gospel transforms lives. I believe it transforms the world. I believe when one individual who becomes so impassioned with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that means they are so impassioned with a God who died and saved them. So impassioned with the fact that they are broken, that they are lost, that they are hurting, and they have a God who actually loves them no matter what. That gospel changes lives. I believe that a family can be the most healing, loving, nurturing place in the world. When you're small and you're in your family, 
You're just a little tyke running around, and the younger you are, the more you rely on your family. From out of the womb until the age of 18, and now with Gen Z, probably till they're like 40, they need the parents, right? So like, like families need help. They need each other. And so as a young person, you grow up. As a young person in your family, however you grew up, you had an experience. So let me just be honest. Some of you had amazing families. You grew up with families that loved you, nurtured you, drove you around, encouraged you, gave you high fives, at a girl, at a boy, and loved you. On the other side, there are people here who did not have that experience. You grew up abused, broken. You grew up alone. You grew up maybe with no friends. You grew up with someone who said they loved you but didn't act like it. And so when I say the word family, you're like, Jason, I'll tell you what I think about family. It's garbage. Because of my experience, when you talk about family, all you're bringing up is pain and hurt and brokenness. Crazy enough, when we started this two years ago in my house, and the question is, what is Jesus driving into your heart? I had this vision of broken, hurting people coming together to make something beautiful. I dreamed of a mosaic. That's where our name comes from. It stems from this idea that in an artist's hand, these broken pieces of glass, pottery, they can be manipulated and moved and actually broken many times over to make smaller pieces. Then when you see that mosaic put together in the hands of the artists, it becomes the most beautiful thing ever seen. If it's not in the hand of the artist, the broken pieces of pottery and clay and glass are simply garbage. I believed as I sat there that God was putting into our hearts a passion for broken, lost, hurting people to come together to make something beautiful because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're mosaic. That's our family. And so we celebrate that. But at the same time, families are super weird. We are weird. We make mistakes. Our sound stuff is always breaking. Things go wrong. I mess up my talk. Nick forgets to show up sometimes. I mean, we just, we're just all over the place, right? We're broken, weird people. And families do weird things sometimes. Have you ever seen these uh, pictures on the internet of like those really awkward family photos? You're like, why in the world, first of all, did you take that picture? Second of all, why in the world would you allow anybody to put that onto the interwebs? So check out this. Our first picture here is from the 70s. Nobody wants to see their parents doing that, let alone in a picture. The 70s was a weird time. I was born in the 70s. This next picture, this is never a good idea. If you believe matching is a good idea, okay, so we had this conversation this week. I'm just going to be real. If you're the family that has like the matching t-shirts that goes to Disney World or Great America, I totally make fun of you. Just wanted that to be known. Uh, Matching is never a good idea. But then there's the 80s, the decade I loved so much. We had a lot of weirdness in the 80s as well. Check out this photo here. Now, my favorite is the little one there who's got that sweet rockin' mullet, just like dad and mom at the same time. Okay, and we also believe in transparency. And honesty. if you ever had a mullet, raise your hand right now. Come on, let's see those hands. Hallelujah, I see you, yes, it was cool. And it's actually cool again. That's what's really scary. Y'all too old. You don't even know, right? 
But this is, this is one. This picture should have never been taken. At the point the photographer is taking the picture, like, look, man, your family's weird. Please do not take this picture. Check out this one. My girl got pee pants. <laughs> like, like, did mom not, like, I'm, you cannot go to the bathroom until this picture is done? She's like, but mom, I gotta go. Like, snap, snap, snap. And there is a family photo. Families are weird. But families are important. At the same time, with all of our goofiness and weirdness and everything, families are so vital. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus did this. There was this new thing happening, a new movement in which the people would start to rely on each other, that the people who were following Jesus needed each other, loved each other, cared for each other. And pretty much the whole New Testament, if you've never read any of the books of the New Testament, you got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the beginning. And then the rest of these are Paul, I mean, most of them, there's other books too, but Paul's writing a lot of letters to churches because they're dysfunctional. Their family was having problems. And so Paul starts writing in the New Testament, hey guys, I want to show you how to be a family. I want to show you what the most important thing is. Guys, I want to direct you back to Jesus. So from the very beginning of time, church family has had issues. But I also want to address the fact that some of you sitting here today have pains because your church family may have hurt you. You may have been in a church environment where something happened, someone talked about you, someone gossiped, someone hurt you. I have many friends who've gone through painful times in their church experience. Some right now, even within Gen Z and millennials, are moving back and saying, you know what, like, I don't want to be a part of this. I understand. I've been damaged by church countless numbers of times. There have been people I trusted who have let me down, hurt me, broken me. But if I look at it through the right lens and I don't run away, because that's typically what happens now. When there's conflict, we run. But what if God's creating something that even through our lives, as we are believers as family, God can do something so amazingly cool in our lives? And maybe, just maybe, Jesus has a different definition of what our family should look like. Today, I'm going to be coming from many different passages, but a main passage is Matthew 12, 46 to 50. If you guys have your Bibles with you, feel free to open up to Matthew 12, 46 to 50. If you have a smartphone or your iPads, feel free to use those uh, Bible app as well. I always encourage you, both here and to everybody right now on Facebook and YouTube, I encourage all of you to be into the Word of God because the Word of God helps. It's our instructional book to help us understand the way God has for us. Matthew 12, 46 to 50, Jesus is here and there's this crowd around him and they come up to him and this was said to him in, in uh, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus makes this statement. Mom's outside. This is really important. We have to put ourselves outside of Western culture into Jewish culture. In the context of Jewish culture, 
That time, family lineage was everything. Your name was everything. Your lineage was everything. Family was everything. How you be, what you did as a profession came from your family. Your resources came from your family. Your survival came from your family. In our Western culture, we're, we're, culture, we're much more individualistic. Once we turn 18, some kids are like gone and they're off doing their own thing. Like I said, you know, Gen Z's can live with us till 40. That's a cop for another day. But, but, but they move on. We can be individualistic. They have their own way of thinking. But family did not break apart like that. Family was everything. So here Jesus makes his statement in front of these crowd of people. He says, I want to be very clear. That's my mom. Got you. But this is my family. This is my family. Those who are in this story with me, those who do the will of my father, that is my family. So his identification now moves from something of human nature into saying, you are, we're not even linked with blood. This is my family. Family is everything. And there's no disrespect to mom because the first time I started studying this passage, I'm like, that's kind of, it's cold. It's like, Mom's outside, like, hey, I want to talk to you, Jesus. You know, like, you didn't do the dishes. <laughs> like, I want to talk to you. And, and they're like, hey, man, Mom's outside. He's like, my family's right here. There's no disrespect. What Jesus was showing us was the new way. Jesus was saying to us, yes, respect Mom, of course. Yes, respect family, of course. But my family is here. If you think about it from this perspective, in Jesus' time, there wasn't government assistance. In fact, if somebody didn't have family and everyone was dead, you were pretty much were on the street begging. If you were a female during that time, you didn't have any hope. You went to the street. That's why you hear in scriptures to take care of orphans and widows. If you did not have family, you didn't have a survival plan. If you were young or a female, the survival plan was almost nil. And so here Jesus comes in with a whole new way of saying, it doesn't matter. You're my family. I will take care of you. What a beautiful example as we think about what Jesus did all those years ago and what he said about the church today. Whether we like it or not, we are family. Yeah. Yeah, I see those hands like, okay, okay. They got the boys, yep. Yeah. We are. Like, we are completely different humans. Here's what's crazy about this. We may not even get along. Like, you're like, dude, outgoing, always in front of people, talk in front of my people, just stress me out. Please, we may not get along. We may not want to play golf together, but I love you and you love me. Even though we're from different generations, even though we come from different economic backgrounds, different families, different color of skin, different stories, we are family. That's what Jesus is saying. Now think about a church that unites around the idea that no matter what, we're family. Even when there's hurt, there's family. Even when there's brokenness, there's family. We celebrate as family. We cry as family. Think of what a church could do to transform the world with this message. Because when conflict comes and the church handles it in a way of love and restoration and we love each other and we may be mad at each other, but we work it out as a good, healthy, functioning family, everyone's going to look at us and say, what is your deal? The deal is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the deal. It's because Jesus did it. 
He started it. This was his idea. And at the very beginning of this whole story with Jesus, he sets up some amazing ways for us to function until he comes back. One of them is family. Now, I don't know your story, but I'm going to tell you a story, two stories that I have seen very briefly. I've seen a friend who's gone through tragedy. I'm sure you have as well. This tragedy happened in their life. Everything fell apart. They lost everything. They were not a believer. They did not believe in the church. They thought church was garbage. They thought it's a bunch of garbage. Like, I kind of love Jesus, but whatever. It's, I, I don't do that. Uh, I don't want to be a part of anything. So this person now is over here on their own, all alone. Nobody to call. No one to help. No one to serve. The people who did come to help, people who did come to serve, were believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I've seen this other story over here within the church. Within the church, I've seen people go through brokenness, lost. They have lost everything. They're at their lowest point. And I watched a group of people, complete strangers, help that family. Not only help them above and beyond, not just barely surviving, actually helping them get back. I've watched strangers love on strangers because they're part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've watched the church so beautiful that there's nothing in the world ever like it. I've also seen what happens when you're not there. Then in between is the church that doesn't function as family. The church that's consumeristic. The church that says, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. The people are there for themselves. I'm not here for you. I'm here for me. I need to get better, and you need to help me, and you need to fill me and give me everything I need. And that church dies. Because that's not what Jesus set up for us. Jesus set up for us a way of a church in which we fill and then we give. We grow and we help others grow. We are resourced, we resource others. We have love, we love others. And a healthy, functioning family has dysfunction inside of it, but it doesn't define it. If you had a childhood that you grew up in and said, I had a good childhood, there were some negative stories in your childhood. There were things that went wrong, things you wish were different, but you would say I had a good childhood because you're not defined by those things. That's a healthy church family. Jesus is calling us to be brothers and sisters. In John 13, 34 through 35, he talks about how we're defined by love. Now, this idea of a church family defined by love is a new concept because church family in the past, or family in the past, is by lineage. New family is by love. And he says this in John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. You think Jesus is making a point when he says love one another three times in two sentences? Drive this home in your head. I don't care if you like each other. Love one another. I don't care if you're mad at her. Love one another. I don't care if that person just talked about you. Love one another. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Love one another. When you love, you sacrifice. Because when you love, people are going to see something that's different from everyone else. Jesus also teaches in his word, he says, it's easy to love people that love you. It's easy. 
I say, love your enemy. Jesus is talking about this love that's radical and crazy and stupid and hard and irritating. And all at the same time, Jesus is saying, this is what transforms the world. We have the prescription in our hands, friends, for our church to transform the world. Love one another. Three times, two sentences. Do you want to know if you follow Jesus Christ? Love stupidly. Now, we in our vision, our vision statement, igniting a movement, we say of radical love that transforms our community and the world. This idea comes from this passage. Love radically. I chose the word radical because I'm a kid from the 80s. That's the only reason why. But radical love doesn't make sense. Radical love is like outside the boundaries. I shouldn't love you, but I love you because Jesus told us to do it. Jesus was the, I mean, not only a master of thought and words and teacher, being himself God, but the way that he puts together a system for us of loving well is unbelievable. Knowing that when we love well, people will know we're with them. Ephesians 4.32 keeps going on. And then how Paul's instructing the church in Ephesus. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in Christ God gave, forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Think about what a kind, compassionate person looks like. When you're in your lowest point, my kindness says, oh, you're at your lowest point? Cool, call somebody else. Lots of compassion, right? Oh, you're hurting? Cool, call Nick. He deals with that stuff. Compassion and kindness are something inside of us that the Holy Spirit should be working out knowing that there are hurting people and that hurting compels us because God forgave and loved us, that all we can do is have compassion at the same time forgiving one another. If you don't know about Jesus, it's pretty clear in the scriptures. We don't have an option. You must forgive people. You have to. In fact, he says, you're forgiven, so forgive others. Forgiveness is not an option because forgiveness is the key to love. If you don't forgive, love is blocked. Forgiveness releases you. Forgiveness releases the person. Forgiveness lets it go. But if you do not forgive, love is blocked. It's choked out. And when he says, be kind, be compassionate, forgive, and just as in Christ, God forgave you, you're looking now at a body of people that love, forgive, care for each other. We're family. Everyone is watching us. I don't know if you know this, but everyone's watching you. If you even hint that you follow Jesus Christ, everyone's watching you. There's a projection out right now about a, in our post-Christian society, which we live in. We're in a post-Christian movement. At the same time, we're in a digital revolution. Digital revolution, a new way of communication with a post-Christian world are colliding at the same time. So we, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are out everywhere on media. You can see us all the time. Everything we say, everywhere we go, everywhere we do, at the same time, people are like, I don't believe it. And I ask the question, maybe they don't believe it because we don't love each other. Because he says, you'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. He doesn't say, you know your disciples by that fantastic tweet you just put on. <laughs> if you make a sweet Instagram snide remark, 
and use 15 Bible verses, they're going to know you're with me. You, you will know you are with me when you love, when you're kind, compassionate, caring, and forgiving. This happens in community. In 1 Peter 3.8, Peter gives this beautiful instruction of like, okay, church, you love each other, you're caring for each other, this is what it looks like. Because sometimes we just don't even know what it looks like. For all of you note takers out there, because um, I know you all are right now, like instantly like, scribble everything you can. For you note takers, this is something to note take. This are just key elements to think about what does a church look like. And what I mean by the church, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I talk about church, I'm not talking about mosaic. I'm talking about the believers united. I'm talking about the movement of God that's saved people. That is the church. Mosaic church is just a weird dysfunctional family that makes fun of itself all the time. That's us. But we're part of the larger church. 1 Peter 3.8 says this, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing, because to this you were called, so that many inherit a blessing. Peter says, first of all, be like-minded. Being like-minded says we're pursuing the same goals. We're on the same trajectory. Our trajectory, though we have different lives and different passions and different stories, our trajectory is God-glorified. Our same like-mindedness is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sin of pride destroys harmony. The sin of I am better than you causes dissension. We will not be like-minded if I or you or any of us believe we are greater than anybody within the family. It causes brokenness. If you think about the music, and we are blessed. I'm going to say this again because I still, I, we are out kicking our coverage when it comes to worship. Our worship team is unbelievable. And when they put these voices together and they harmonize, and, you, and if you're a music person, you get that look on your face where you squint your eyes and purse your lips like, ooh, that's tasty. Like, it's, ooh, that sounds good. It's like you're biting into a big, juicy steak. Like, mmm, give me some A1 sauce on that worship. That's good. And you hear that song and that harmony, and you're like, oh, my goodness, girls, please don't stop. Joe, get in there. Let's bring some more voices. And everybody's singing. You're like, oh, this is so beautiful. Don't stop that sound. That's the church in harmony. People stop and turn and say, ooh, what is that? You're like-minded. Ooh, what's that look like? When you're like-minded, that harmony, that sound, it, you don't want it to stop. That is being like-minded. Harmony unites us when we focus on God's glory. It says, have sympathy for one another. If you have not gone through something hard in your life, you're probably like two months old. We all are going to. We all have. There will be more. 2020 shouldn't surprise us, it's being alive. Hardship shouldn't surprise us, it's being human. And we are going to have needs within the family. But what if we have sympathy and we respond to each other's needs? What if a church decentralizes pastors and staff and people who do things and centralize the body of Christ? As much as I'd love to help everybody, it's not on me, it's all on us, together. What if we respond to needs you respond to needs. We have sympathy. We care for each other. We have this bone inside of us with this love bone that says, I feel what you're feeling. Now, every dude in here is like, yeah, right, because I'm the yeah, right guy. Sympathy has been hard for me as a dude. A lot of times I'm like, suck it up, put some dirt on it. You know, like that's how I grew up. 
Like, I think I broke my leg. It's fine. I'll set it for you. Like, I'm not. Or usually my response is, well, I told you not to jump off that box, right? Like, I told you so moments. And so sympathy goes beyond that. Sympathy now comes to a point of, you're hurting. Let me carry that hurt with you and help. Sympathy within the beautiful family of church brings everybody into a place of relationship you've never even felt before. Because sympathy now means I'm in your life walking with you. When I first started youth ministry, um, I, I started youth ministry, you don't know, um, in 2002, I went into full-time ministry. I started as a junior high youth pastor. <laughs> That's a story. And then I did high school and all this stuff. And one of my most awkward moments are teenage girls crying. So if you haven't been around a teenage girl crying, they just kind of start crying, okay? And here I am as a youth pastor. So, you know, you know Betty walks in and Betty, uh, Pastor Jason, can I meet with you? Yeah, excellent. Yeah, we'll sit down. How are you doing? Or I'm like, what do I do with this? Like, like she's got all these feels. I'm just staring. I'm like, this is so awkward for her because I'm just staring at her like a deer in the headlights. Like, this poor girl's like, I'm so sorry I even came to you. You know, like, like sympathy was not in this DNA of who I am. And one of the coolest things God did as a youth worker is he taught me sympathy through teenage girls. As I sat down and listened to a story, I didn't say, stop crying, get over it, rub some dirt on it. I felt where she was at in her story that was real and said, what can I do to help you? What can I do to serve you? What can I do to walk with you? Now, praise God, um, I had another staff member who joined on who was female, and then she took all the crying girls. But <laughs> I learned because that was a place of family. Loving, we need to love as a family, serving and sacrifice my life in your defense. Think about a place in where men treat women like sisters. The year 2020, and for a long time here, there's been a lot of back and forth between males and females. There's been a lot of dissension, anger. There's been abuse. There's been all this stuff that's been going on and I say this to all my sisters here. You are my sister. I look at you as my sister. I protect you and love you as my sister. You've been objectified. You've been talked about. You've been hurt. You've been broken. You are my sister. Now I'm a big brother, and sometimes I do stupid stuff and like throw a football and you break your nose, like break, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you are my sister. Sisters, what if everyone here is your brother? Now, if you grew up with bad brother-sister relationships, I apologize. If my siblings are seeing here, watching this, hey, what's up? So uh, <laughs> what if that was your brother? I love you like my brother. What can I do to help you? What if we see each other through the lens of brothers and sisters? I want to help you be all you can be. I want to encourage you and walk with you something. You're not a stranger who walks into a door. You're my brother. You're my sister. I've used this term for so many years because this passage changed the way of my thinking. You'll hear me say the sisters or the brothers. I use that to remember what God's brought us together as. We're family. You are my brother. You're my sister. We're called to have compassion for each other. Is there a sensitivity for those who are in need? Do you feel a calling to respond to those needs? Do you see somebody who has a big need? You're like, that is really cool. I got something to do. Do you see the compassion when people are at a place of hurting and say, what can I do to respond 
I'm with you in it. And finally, we have to be humble before each other. Can we put aside our own agenda so the person next to you gets the credit? Can we put away our division of churches, our division of relationships, our division of ministries? Can we put away all this division that we have between us? Can we start breaking down walls of different thoughts or Dare I say, I'm Democrat, I'm Republican. Whoa, let that explode right now. Like, let's put this all down and just say, you know what, right now, I just want to be humble before you. I put my agenda aside for the cause of Jesus Christ. We have different thoughts, but I love you. Humility changes lives. The lack of humility causes church splits. Lack of humility causes churches to die. Humility is saying it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. So this morning, I'm going to ask you something. I'm asking you to seriously consider the words of Jesus. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. The harmony, the sympathy, the love, the compassion, the humility, this is the foundation that God can transform the world through us. Year two of Mosaic. May God put in us even today a new breath of what it means to be family because we are dysfunctional, we have issues, we don't do everything right, but at the same time, we love each other for the kingdom and for his glory evermore. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.